Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Jason Conover. Jason is uh, one of the Pacific Northwest Washington Wheelers, early competitor in the ARCA series, along with uh, a pirate bulletin board member going by the name of Snort Clown, and one of the founders, if not the founder, of SNN Fab. Any of the wheelers that have been around for a long time will remember SNN Fab, absolutely, and uh Jason, thank you for coming on board this early morning and and talking with us before you head off to work. Thanks, Rich. So it was great seeing you this weekend. You competed up here in Goldendale for our Western Nationals. But before we get into talking about this weekend, let's go and talk about your early days. I understand that you grew up in the the Seattle Basin area, but uh, possibly on an island. Is that correct? Yeah, I was on, uh, most of my years were, uh, on Camino Island. Okay. Out of, uh, Stanwood, Washington. So it's about an hour, hour north of Seattle. Okay. So what's, what was that like? Um, is it a, a small rural community? I've not been out that way. Or is it, it, it uh, is. uh, Stanwood, uh, is the town that leads to the island. Uh, the island is almost more of a peninsula. Um, it's more or less separated by a a slough and and a small stream that that bisects it. So, um, but it only has you know one one way on and one way off. Um, you know, and there was probably about five to six thousand people on it at that time. You know, and it's relatively small. It's uh, fourteen miles long and seven miles wide. So it's it's not a huge island, but it's it's fair size, but uh, by no means completely isolated from anything, but there's no, there's no town on the island. So growing up then that you would lived in a, in a wooded area and I would imagine there was a lot of open space or it, even if it was privately owned, you probably had the opportunity to get out into the woods. Well, no, no, not necessarily. Okay. No, no I was, uh, uh, originally, um, we'd moved up here. I'd lived in Colorado and uh, I had uh, we'd moved to Oregon for a couple of years, and then and then come to Washington. And so, from about third grade on, is where I was on Camino Island. 
Okay. The Stanwood area. Okay. So Colorado to Oregon, then to Washington. Yeah. Okay. Well, originally born in, <laughs> born in Washington, but yeah, then moved to Colorado for a All number right. of years. Which, there was work at my dad, uh, uh was a, a Vietnam vet. And, uh, once he got out, there wasn't a lot of work here in Washington. And so, uh, once the opportunity opened up, uh, he came back to Washington to work at Bali. Excellent. Okay. So what was life like growing up on the, uh, on the Island? Uh, it, you know, like I said, it's a small Stanwood. It was a small community. I think, uh, my, my graduating class was less than a hundred people. So, you know, everybody from Camino Island, uh, went to Stanwood schools, you know, which is the town that you go through that leads, you know, onto the Island. So, okay. um, small community, you know, the Island was big enough. There's a dairy farm, uh, there where, uh, I grew up working, um, quite a bit. And there's a cannery in town that I worked at as well as a, as a younger kid. So, um, but you know, I'd lived in Stanwood for a couple of years and then we'd lived on a uh, farm, um, that was out there on the Island, um, for a few years. And then, uh, then to the top of the Island, which was more in the wooded area. So, and when yeah, you were going to school, when you were going to school, were you, uh, studious or were you, uh, um, I, I didn't really, uh, I didn't dislike school, but I didn't, uh, it wasn't my favorite thing. Um, <laughs> I grew up, uh, racing a lot of motocross. And so, uh, for a large number of years, that was my, my vice. So I spent, uh, most of my time just trying to, you know, get done with school. So I could either, you know, when I got off school, I would either, uh, go and work for a while. And then a lot of times, um, I would practice and ride. So that was, and so, you know, as far as like interactions with people at school and stuff like that, I was not, um, I was not into the, into any of the social networks or any, anything like that. It was to get away from that and go racing. So, okay. So you yeah. did your own thing. I absolutely. Yeah. So was high school it, or did you do any college time at all? Community college or anything like that? I did, um, directly, directly out of high school In in high school, I, uh, for the, the classes that I had, I excelled really well in uh metal shop, of course, and, and, uh, in my, uh, drafting uh, class and, uh, both of those teachers wanted me to go into that field or into those specific fields, I should say. And then, uh, Eventually, um, you know, I kind of ended up in both. So it worked out, I guess, in, in, in my favor. But, um, once I got done with that, um, I went to Skagit Valley College and, uh, I was going after a liberal arts degree initially and then, um, prerequisites for University of Oregon. I was, uh, after a commercial pilot's license in a degree in engineering, um, which, I didn't pursue, but while I was in college, I did take, uh, welding courses. So, and then just spent some time there doing some welding, which eventually led to me taking, uh, a summer and, uh, going and working for a ship in Alaska as a ship's welder. Oh, okay. So, and what size ships were you working on in Alaska? Were they the, the fishing? It was a 400 foot boat. Wow. That's a good size yeah. boat. Yes. So then, uh, what was, what was the boat's purpose? 
Uh, it was a floating uh, processor. Oh, okay. cannery. Yeah. And so I'd had some work also in Stanwood or pre- previous uh, working for uh, what's called Twin City Foods, where they did um, uh, peas and corn and some various other things. And so in there, you know, they have people that operate the machinery and, and people that lead and, and uh, uh, things like that. And so since I had some experience in that, and then on top of that, once they figured out a well that was pretty easy to move into the engineering department on the boat, to, uh, to do that for a little while. So, and the whole idea behind that was to save money, of course, for college. Okay. And is that what you did? I, uh, saved money for college and then I came home and lived like a king for a little while. <laughs> I know a lot of people that went to Alaska, to, like when in my years in high school, right after or during they were working on the pipeline and yeah. So many of those guys went up there and came back with about as much money as they left with, even though they were making huge dollars up there. Every time they would come back for, you know, a week or two, it'd be just total party time. And then they'd go back up there and they'd talk about, you know, having to buy a hamburger, you know, at McDonald's for six or seven dollars or something like that. And, And then spending all their time in the bars and everything. And it was like. I don't think I ever want to do that man camp thing, but I guess on a ship, it might be a little different. Absolutely. You, your room and board was paid for. Um, the pay wasn't really high. I'm pro- I'm going to guess like six to $10 an hour. However, um, it was 12 on 12 off seven days a week. So, and nowhere to spend your money. Um, you know, so everything just went home. Um, and, you know, and, so there's, there's really no bills. Um, so for me, it was, it was great. Um, you know, I, I didn't have any debt. I had a lot of money saved up, you know, and I, I put in a lot of extra hours. You could work more than 12 if you so chose. So, um, a lot of times I did because there's really not a lot to do on that boat. So, <laughs> um, and at, at that time, you know, the, the VHS tape was uh, key and there was a very limited number of of movie choices and it was nothing new so yeah i spent a lot of time just working and and you know biding my time until i until i came home but yeah so but it worked it worked out it worked out good but you know fortunately once i got home even though i could have went to school an opportunity uh arose for me to work in my way into an, an engineering company and so that that turned into that and that's the direction I ended up in. Well, let's talk about that a little bit then. After you got back and you were working for the engineering company, Mm -hmm. were you still riding motorcycles? So I had stopped racing for a period of time. I, uh, my final season, uh, I was an intermediate, um, probably a mid pack. Um, I would have liked to have turned pro within a year or so. Um, and I had, uh, had to get an ACL reconstruction. Uh. And so I did that. I tried to make a comeback, but I had lost the edge, uh, a little bit of fear of getting hurt. And so I kind of took a break from riding, okay. um, you know, pretty heavily. So at that point, I didn't really have an outlet and that's during the the end of my racing career it i bought a uh a toyota pickup um 
a four wheel, like literally, you know, an 84 Toyota pickup, almost like the, uh, the truck from back to the future. I mean, it was mint condition and got a great deal on it. The guy had never off-roaded it. You, I don't even think he drove it in the rain. Um, but I, I took care of that for him. So, um, <laughs> and then, uh, so that was my primary means of transportation, but that's when, uh, that's when the four wheeling bug kind of caught in, um, and started, started doing that. And that's, that's what kind of took up some of that, uh, motocross, uh, vice, you know, in, in that, uh, just something that was fun and it, to do and, and challenging, you know, depending on where you, where you went and stuff like that. So, so yeah. what age were you with the, uh, when you got the Toyota? I want to say I was 19 or I think I was 19, 19 or 20. And that was right. after the time on the boat? No, prior. I'm prior. sorry. Okay. Yeah, that was prior to the boat. Yeah. Okay. And then when you came back from working in Alaska on the boat, you still had the Toyota? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. In fact, after that, that was all cut up for years that I four wheeled that, you know, I turned into the buggy and, or a buggy and yeah, I, that, that thing had a lot of stories it could tell. <laughs> <laughs> so then you came back, you weren't to work for the engineering firm and what were your duties there at the engineering firm? Uh, I started really at the bottom. It was an opportunity that was a foot in the door and it was either that or, or college. And, um, it was literally, uh, doing blueprints, um, standing in front of a machine and feeding, uh, a, you know, regular uh, drawing into a blueprint machine and then pulling the, you know, the two separated out of the other side and stacking them and stapling them. And then in the, after hours, because there was overtime available, I was allowed to uh, do the CAD drafting side um, and learn that, um, and, and you know, and start working that direction. And so um, that's what I would do is any opportunity I had when I was, you know, after my eight hours of standing at that machine or delivering drawings, um, I would uh, work in AutoCAD. So, and this is probably what ninety. One ninety-two, okay. So quite a few years back, yeah. And that, yeah. and that was being in Washington as well, correct? That was yes. I worked in downtown Seattle, commuted there every day, so roughly about a fifty-minute commute. Yeah, for okay. a large number of years. Yeah. And then the from the engineering firm, or you were still at the engineering firm, and then you after. In the after hours, you got to do the CAD drawings. Did that? Yep. Did that job progress to where you got off of the machines doing the uh, the blueprints? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it got to the point to where um, I had worked my way to pretty much this, you know, one of the faster drafters, and um, you know, working with engineers and, and understanding drawings a lot better. Um, to where I was just a full-time, you know, as they called it there, then a draftsman uh, is a far cry from that. But um, the more you understood systems rather than just lines on paper, the the better you would excel because you could interpret what the uh, what the engineer was trying to convey in their 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 red lines or their markups, and um, sometimes you could anticipate some other changes that might need to happen. So. 
as you did that more and more, you would understand that. And, and, uh, eventually it just, it moves you up. So, okay. um, to, to the point to where, you know, there's a, a point when at the end of my career there, which was eight or nine years, you know, I was the manager of the department. So yeah, it, it, it you know, it, it eventually worked its way up. Excellent. So let's talk about, okay, you're, you're there for eight or nine years. At mm-hmm. that time, you take your Toyota and you start hacking on it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Toyota started out um, during that time. You know, like I said, it was nice, but it had, you know, I think the first thing I put on it was this long set of shackles in the back. And, you know, it had already had a lift when I got it in a 31-inch tire, but, you know, it wasn't very long till I went to a 33-inch tire. And then eventually um, I had, you know, put differential lockers in it. I think it ran an air locker in the front and a Detroit in the rear and like a 571 gear, which is a horrible ratio. They tend to burn up, but put those in it and a winch and then just, you know, four wheeled it. A lot of, a lot of mud. There wasn't really a lot of rock up here. It's a little bit different. You know, in Washington, we don't have a lot of really rocky terrain. Especially on the West side. Yeah. It's more like, you know, I always called it tree dodging, you know, or moshing, you know, you kind of just drive in between trees and through trails in the woods. So, you know, and then eventually, you know, it just leads to a bigger tire Then it's a 33 and then, you know, then comes the Burfield breakages that, you know, it's kind of a, a, a cycle that you go through with these, with these vehicles, you know, you upgrade the things as you can go and as money permits and, you know, I'm going to get this and I'm going to upgrade that. And, and that's kind of where it, it was at. And then, um, and then it really started to, uh, take the downhill spiral as, you know, as things, as things progressed, um, you know, I want to say mid nineties, it started, you know, uh, length suspension, um, and the rear and, and things like that. So, yeah. That that began that you know, and that was the hobby after hours at work. Okay, so that's all that turned into. And that hobby turned into eventually S and N Fab. Is that correct? It did. There was an opportunity. So towards the end of my job at that engineering firm, I was spending a lot of time. Um, you know, I was spent a lot of time thinking about uh, different four-wheel drive ideas and components and i you know i by this time my my truck had been cut apart and was anything but a truck it was more of a tube car and was bending a lot of tube and and, in just a lot of stuff and just starting to do chassis i think this would might have been 98 99 probably by this time and so and trevor and i were working together um, he was uh, a few years younger than me, lived down the road from an ex fiance and I, but, you know, once we met, we got along really, really well. Um, and so we spent a lot of time after hours working on stuff, you know, bending tube and fabricating and just, you know, wrenching. And so, uh, that was kind of, yeah, the, the, the beginning of that. And so spending a lot of time, well, as at the end of that, I was managing and maintaining uh, electronically all of the buildings in the world for Microsoft on the electrical side. So 
is they would, um, that was when they were in their hiatus, they would um, make adjustments to offices and rewire them and reorganize them, which didn't require an engineer stamp. So we could do a quick, easy layout on that and then um, uh, they would rewire it. And, and then we would keep those drawings up to date. And uh, that was coming, that project was coming to an end because it was going to go underneath uh, one roof. And so um, uh, at that point, my company um, had brought in someone uh, that kind of took over that, that ran one of the biggest engineering firms in the, in the West Coast in the ground. And so I took that opportunity to basically, it was, I want to say it was 29. Um, and I thought, well, right now is a point in my life to where I don't have another job. And at that point I'd moved myself up to a position to where it was, it was harder to find, uh, another position that was open like that. And then nine, nine 11 hit. And, and that's, that's when it really made it hard for me to find another job. But at that point, that's when I started, um, just doing the full time, uh, fabrication work. And then, uh, assisting Trevor. Trevor had a flooring business. And so I would help him uh, do flooring and during the days and we would work on rigs in, in the evenings. So, Okay. So I, I need to know how the name SNN fab came up and what that stands for. Cause it's Jason Conover and Trevor Johnston, yeah. but it's yeah. SNN fab. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like a, a gamer tag and, you know, a little bit of a joke and, and, uh, maybe nicknames and stuff like that. And so, um, uh, that, those were our aliases just online. You know, people didn't usually go by their full name on, um, uh, you know, the internet and on pirate or, um, and we had our own board, the, the snort board, which was our full wheel drive club. And so, um, uh, we, you know, those were based off of that, you know, and so, uh, it was really just a joke in the, the first vantage, I think, um, uh, competition. Um, we, you know, had some stickers and just did them as SNN fab, um, you know, to represent some of the, the work we were doing and, um, uh, later on, once the business kind of started up, we were going to change it, but um, it, that was everybody, you know, said, "No, this is kind of already what you're known as," and so it just it so, just stuck. We just left it. So, so the S is for snort clown, and N is for nexter. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's what I thought, but I wanted to make sure. I mean, uh, mine's pretty self-explanatory. The nexter comes from, uh, uh, it's kind of a, a joke, you know, because some people, when someone hates their nickname, that's when it really sticks. And uh, the funny story with this is Trevor, uh, The this was during the Jerky Boys, and there was an ass neck and a silly neck, and I don't know if many people have ever listened to them, but they they say some pretty funny stuff. And so, uh, when we would call each other, it was always left as, Hey, ass neck and you know, and stuff like that. And then a friend had a hatched a baby duckling. And the first thing they saw was its neck. And so they, he named it neck. And then, so one day Trevor was referred to as neck and 
Trevor's like, you know, I don't mind ass and I don't mind ass neck or, you know, but he goes, I really hate neck. And it's like, okay, there you are neck. <laughs> and so, uh, and then it, you know, it just turned into Nexter and that's, uh, and it stuck. So, you know, and then once you start using it online, that's what you're kind of known as. So. Right. <laughs> awesome. So what I remember, you guys put together a pretty unique chassis design. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that it it changed all that much over the years, at least the the visual of it. Is that correct? That is correct. So, yeah, that was a, a, a Bravo series. So, you know, it had been a long road to get there, um, you know, figuring out what and how you want to do lay out a car and not look like everybody else's car. Um, you know, there wasn't as many builders as there are now. True. So you had a little bit more freedom without, you know, feeling like you're maybe copying someone or stealing an idea. And that was, that was part of the, the fun back then as you could innovate, you know, and you had some, um, you really had to make stuff out of junk. <laughs> uh, in a lot of cases, but, um, the chassis design, I, I spent a lot of time looking at a lot of different types of desert cars and, um, looked at other people's chassis and I watched, you know, how tubes bent and how things reacted. And, you know, there's a lot of inspiration that I, that I got from, uh, people back in the day, Eric Bylar, uh, I think he worked for Avalanche and, I think he was a help with a sniper and, 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 and things that I saw that he had done in the day and, and some of the two work he did and really, you know, uh, liked the design and the uniqueness and, you know, and of course, you know, Shannon Campbell or Twisted Customs or any of those guys and, and really liked what they were doing and, um, you know, tried to come up with my own, own design, but I, I, I approached it differently just because I, I felt uh, you know, I looked at the car more as kind of like a bridge to hold the the suspension up and then to, to save the occupants. So um, I looked at like where things would be impacted and how it would transfer energy and, and where it would push, you know, so like if I hit it here, what's going to happen and where's that energy going to go? I didn't have solid works, you know, and I just sketched it out on, on a pad. And then I, I did a skid plate in the middle that's always made out of quarter inch plate, which is a little bit different than everybody else does. That's not really a design that anybody else uses. But um, uh, my idea with that was, you know, you're really probably not going to tear suspension links out of quarter inch plates. Right. So, um, and what that did was that gave a foundation of where all your push pull points were. Now, keep in mind, you know, this is at a time where you know, some of the suspension theories and ideas were being tested and there was some, there were some pluses and there were some minuses and there were some quirks, but kind of understanding some of that from making a lot of mistakes and, and you always make mistakes. It's a give and take for any design that you do, but, um, came up with a foundation and a plan that I wanted to do. And we had done a couple of complete chassis, uh, for other people, but they weren't of a specific design but um i ended up building for myself you know the the first bravo that was never intended to be a um a, uh, 
a mass produced thing. I built a, I built the car for me. I built what I wanted for myself, 100%. And, um, it, it really, you know, by accident turned into, you know, I don't know, probably 70 or 80 chassis, I would guess somewhere in there, probably. Oh, wow. And so, when was, when did you first, when did you first compete and was it in that Bravo chassis? It wasn't. So the year prior, well, I mean, I'd been competing in like the Northwest rock crawling championships and, and I did that in the, uh, the old Toyota buggy as it was cut up the first year I did it. And it still had a windshield in it, but was, you know, kind of, uh, a lot of tube work in a bed. And then, um, I decided that if I rolled, I didn't want a face full of glass. So, um, the next year it didn't have a, a front clip on it anymore. So, you know, that just kept getting cut up more and more. Um, and then we, like I said, we did a couple of chassis, uh, one for, uh, Mike Dixon. He had a layout he wanted to do. And so we built that, which was a gecko. And then we did, um, uh, one, the, the car for Jay Standish. Okay. And we had some specifics and, uh, um, that, that he was after, but left the design open. And so that car had features of like, a Campbell chassis, some inspiration maybe from Mike Schaefer. And that's when, you know, building that car, I came up with more along the lines of what I wanted to do for myself. And that was a Toyota based buggy too. His was. So I knew I wanted to use my, you know, high pinion sixties. I wanted to use a, a four, three V six and, you know, turbo 400 to my Atlas. And that was, you know, those were my dry train components that I was specifically after. So, okay. And, 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 the Toyota stuff. and then you jumped into the Arca series. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. I spotted for, well, I'd, I'd gone to the Lake Almador with you guys in Cal Rocks. Right. And then, um, you know, after that, I, you know, we started getting a little bit more into the building and then, um, yeah, after that, um, Jay Standish did the Arca series and, um, uh, partway through that season, he'd asked if, uh, his spotter couldn't make it. And so I filled in for him and I think I ended up, his, I ended up spotting for him at the Donner ski ranch. Also one of your other events. Right. And then after that, the next year I, uh, I spotted for him the whole season for Arca. And then, um, and then a year after that was the season I competed in ARCA. Okay. And then did that for, for a season. And right after that's when the, you know, the U-Rock and ARCA's, those kind of died down. And that's when, you know, the, the, the We Rock series kicked up, you know, and started. And I think it was the Boulevard Brawl. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember which one was the first. The first it, well, actual the first re-rock. re-rock, but yeah, but it was when your season was because of what was going on with you rock and, and, uh, Arca. Right. Um, it, there was too much what ifs going on with that. And I think yours was the only one that was solidified. So, and, uh, that season, yeah, that's the one where, uh, Trevor and I, I was, 
waiting on uh, uh, Dynatrack axles and um, uh, parts for them. And uh, I wasn't able to get my car done in time. So we took Trevor's down and that's why we had two cars. We, we had him drive. So, yeah. Okay. Boulevard, that was a, that was kind of a crazy event. The, yeah. it was only used the one time the, mm-hmm. uh, the, it was right there. The property was on the border with Mexico and we had a lot of, uh, south of the border spectators come through, at least at the food booth. I don't know (laughs) if they took a stayed around and watched the competition much, but you could tell who they were because they were all carrying like old gallon milk jugs full of water (laughs) and standing in the food line to get hamburgers and hot dogs. (laughs) And border patrol was going crazy. <laughs> yes, yes, that oh, was man. that was a that was a good event though. It was uh, it was a lot of fun and and uh, really great terrain too. Yeah, it was. It was. I wished we could have used that that area again, but yeah. um, it just wasn't going to work out with the property owner and and the demands yeah. that he wanted to to make that work. But that's yeah. life, you know. That happens yeah. a lot. So how long did you guys run SNN Fab is in it and together and is it still a thing? So we ran SNN Fab till pretty much the end of 2009. Um, and uh, uh, there was just a point to where um, you know we never uh, really had any debt. We didn't buy any new vehicles. You know, we just kind of made a living with it. And we worked, uh, you know, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. We worked very hard. Um, you know, found that we couldn't get away a lot. And, um, you know, and that's what you had to do to just make it work. Um, and, and keep the doors open. And, and, and it had run its course with me. Um, at that time I was dealing with some health issues. I wasn't feeling really well and, uh, we flat out couldn't afford health insurance. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I need to get a job, you know, and I always had the fallback of the engineering side. And, uh, all during, uh, that time I'd been called, you know, several times asked to come back to the engineering side from different firms and where a lot of people had migrated to when the previous place I was at had closed down, um, asking, uh, me to come back or to come back into that field. And so it was nice to always have a secondary fallback and, um, you know, uh, uh, working for yourself is, is, is a hard living. You know, you can, you can certainly attest to that. It's, you know, you are, you are dedicated to that. And, um, um, I, I wanted a, a little bit more. I missed uh, some of my other hobbies. And then, like I said, not feeling well and not being able to figure out what was wrong. Um, I felt, well, it was, a, it was a good choice for me. And, you know, by that time, Trevor and I each had significant others. I'd had, you know, family. It's, I needed to make sure that that was taken care of, uh, number one. And like I said, when the opportunity arose, I gave him the thumbs up that I would come back. And I talked to Trevor about it. And he was pretty good with it because I think he was tired of the run as well. So we, we decided to let everybody know that we were going to close our doors in a few months and then, 
uh, we had a really crazy run on chassis because <laughs> <laughs> so, everybody wanted one. <laughs> yeah, they well, they'd always say, "Yeah, I'm going to get a chassis eventually, and then I'll put it together later." And and um, and uh, you know, I was I was pretty burned out. I mean, I lived four wheel drive. I mean, that's you know, I always had my cell phone on, and a lot of times when we would sell chassis to people, we used to have a lot of pictures on on the web of how we'd assemble. So people, when they put the cars together, they could figure out how to, how, how did they do the brake pedals? How did they, how did they set the engine in there? You know, cause it was pretty, they were pretty open um, inside the cars. I mean, the suspension was the key layout, but they'd give them approximate where they want the harmonic balance or where they'd want the engine and how to do the transmission. And you could see a lot of that online. And so, um, uh, but I was always available and would talk to people till late at night. In fact, uh, Lori would threaten to uh, put a uh, put a timer on my phone and a credit card, you know, before people would call so that I, they would charge them. <laughs> so because I'd spend so much time on the phone, and so by that time I was just yeah, like I said, very very burned out, and so uh, yeah, we decided uh, you know it wasn't too long after. Uh, Oh nine, and we kind of moved away from the rock crawling side and did the did the king of the hammers thing, and um, uh, found that I liked that. But like I said, yeah, it was time to move on to to get some health insurance. So, so you went back I, into engineering. I did. Yep. Yep. And by that time, the three D side had really blossomed, and at the end of my old previous career, I was one of the few that was three D stuff. You know, in the early and or mid nineties and early two thousands, so it wasn't really that well known, and so it was easy, a little bit easier for me to plug and play. Um, coming back into it um, later. So, Excellent. Yeah. And is so, that what you're still doing today? It is. Yep. Yep. I ended up. Well, I'm not really with an engineering firm. I've moved to the other side of the fence. Um, which I like a lot better. Um, I stayed, I, I, I generally don't like to move jobs. I try to stay for a minimum of five years, okay. um, to give them an opportunity to recoup money for their investment in me. Um, so, and it's just, I, I never really thought it looks good on a resume to move around a lot, but, um, I stayed at a, a company called Wood Harbinger, uh, for about six years. And then an opportunity opened up to move to a general contractor that was looking for what's called a BIM manager. So the stuff I do is like, they refer to it as BIM, but it's building information modeling. And, um, it's, it's, it's running the 3D side, but I was more on the technical side and knowing the software and able to manipulate files. And, you know, as you draw a building in 3D, you have all the systems and you have all the plumbing, the piping and, and all of these things. And I, I had been boots on the ground in that. And on top of that, I, I knew how to, um, run the clash side and to do other things. So it, it, you know, and, and, and just being able to draw some really odd stuff as needed. So for a general contractor, that brought a lot of value because I could come in there and we could, I could oversee the other trades and make sure that they're, their stuff is playing nice together, you know, that the 
ductwork isn't blowing through or that we don't have fire protection blowing through all the ductwork and that the pipes fit and stuff because a lot of stuff that goes in the buildings these days is prefabricated outside and then has to go in and be installed. They don't just have a plumber go in with a big stack of pipe and fittings and just, you know, start cutting and making it work roughly following where the drawings are. So, um, that worked really, really good. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was neat to see that side of it, um, placing tower cranes and, and doing haul routes and site, uh, logistics plans on figuring out how you're going to feed a project and, and things like that. So it was a different avenue. So definitely a change, but, um, certainly a lot of fun. So then you're, you're still wheeling, but you're working in the engineering field, in yeah, construction. Well, so, yeah. Before that, I guess when I was at, uh, uh, Wood Harbinger, um, I raced, uh, I raced with Dave Schneider. So Dave Schneider's car burned to the ground that we built him in 09. Right. And so he was running, uh, first in the best in the desert series. And of course, you know, when his car burns to the ground, you know, out playing, of course, um, he was pretty upset and I, I'd raced my car and just came to the hammers and I didn't have the means, especially with a new job and, or the time to go and race a bunch of the series and doing a bunch of ultra four. And so at that point I told Dave, I said, why don't you take my car? It's just sitting in my garage and use it, uh, for the time being uh, until you figure out what you're going to do. And, um, uh, reluctantly, you know, he was cautious about it because, you know, he already didn't have one car and what happened if he burned down another one. But, um, I wasn't worried about that. I, you know, I was like, it is, it is what it is. Um, you know, that's the inherent risk you take with this. And so, um, he took that and was able to continue to race. And, and so he did that for a couple of years, but <clears throat> it allowed me to daisy chain with him and be a part of that. So, you know, we were able to race Vegas Torino and and finish that which is a bucket list item for me of course right. um and it and allowed me to team up with him and and drive and race so it was a it was a great opportunity um uh to do something like that and a lot of fun and then uh, uh that was 2010 in early 2010 i missed king of the hammers because i was that it figured out that my sickness and what i was dealing with is i had a dead gallbladder and it was dragging my system down and making oh. me feel Okay. That's all it was. And it was actually a real, relatively simple surgery and, and they, they took it out and, you know, I felt a thousand percent better. So it was certainly nice to get that out of the way. So it wasn't anything that was going to kill me, but boy, I sure felt terrible. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then uh, 2011, um, we did, uh, the, um, King of the Hammers. And then at that point, um, I brought the car home for a summer. I didn't end up four wheeling it at all. Dave came and got it again and then, uh, raced it up until 2014 while they were developing the top shelf. And then at that point, I'd been away from it for a couple of years. I just really nobody calling or, or questions or anything like that. It was nice break. And I started enjoying things like, you know, I got into action, uh, uh, three gun shooting. Um, you know, just a lot of hobbies that I'd had before building computers, um, just, just different things that I was into 
uh, prior to SNN Fab that I couldn't do back then, you know, RC cars, crap like that. So it was nice to have other hobbies than that. I told Dave, just sell the thing off. And uh, so that's where I went uh, carless for a few years. So you said something that piqued my interest. You said the three gun shooting. Yes. And, and that's pistol, rifle, and shotgun? It was just action pistol at first, and then okay. I got a little bit into the three gun, um, and that was a lot of fun. I didn't like to reload, so it made it a little bit more expensive. But yeah, yeah, that was a <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. It was um, uh, at the end of the day, the cardboard doesn't shoot back, so it's still just a game. Um, so <laughs> you know, there's there's not a lot of practicality other than shooting under duress that you. Uh, that you learn with it, but it certainly, it, it certainly was a lot of fun. Yeah. It did, you know, I got into building, uh, my own guns and, and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's just kind of how I've always been. Everything that I do, I kind of, you know, like to figure it out and build it myself and see if I can maybe, you know, maybe not building an AR or improve on it, but knowing how it works and functions and how to tune it and make it work properly. So it'll shoot any ammo and, things like that is a lot of fun. So, yeah. But yeah, I did that for, I want to say two or three years. I got into that pretty heavily. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Cool. That's a, that's a different, you don't hear people talk about that a lot. So that piqued my interest. Yeah. Yeah. So then you go carless for a while. Yeah. And then you have the buggy that you have now that you competed in. Yeah. So what happened is I took a, took this long break and then, uh, Nathan Osborne and Steve Reynolds, uh, both of them were action shooting with me Oh, okay. Um, as well. Um, Nate had maintained his car. Nate lives two miles from me. Steve doesn't lived up in North Bend at the time, but he still had his old buggy. Um, but yeah, we spent a lot of time shooting and then Nate and his wife, um, my wife and I, we started traveling with them to Hawaii and um uh really enjoyed it there and and in that type of uh you know eating barbecue and and uh sipping my ties it was really kind of fun you know a different another hobby one that my <laughs> <doing> really liked <laughs> right so, anyway uh um, doing that and while we were there you know nate was always playing and goofing off with the rc crawlers and, and he's like Dude, I bought a bomber, and he goes, "Man, that thing is so cool!" And I, you know, I, I he goes, "You you need to go and get one." And I was like, "Dude, I, I race, I build cars, and I race against Randy Sloss, and why am I going to buy his RC car <laughs> and do that?" And and Nate's like, "Well, I, you know, I understand, but uh, came back and I, I bought a bomber. I probably would have been happier with a real one, but you know, the, the RCs." RC was pretty legit. So um, we got those. And then, of course, you know, the mods start and then they're jumping or jumping them off jumps that are bigger, big enough for bicycle crap like that. You know, it's just that downhill spiral. And then uh, by chance, we decided to go to and, uh, you know, I started modifying them a little bit and kind of started building my own. And then we ended up going to an RC comp. And that's where the bug came back in. And then so I got into that and then I'd called Larry at Trail Ready and I had a piece of 7075 uh aluminum plate and i made a 
a frame rail set that would fit within the class parameters and uh, still, uh, uh, you know, fit fit the criteria, but was custom made and used a lot of the stuff that I used on my my regular buggies onto these RCs and you know and, and it, maybe it didn't work as good as some of the other stuff, but it was uh, it was the realism of it that drew me back. And then so you know I started making replicas of all my old cars, and then. Um, and then I started collecting a few parts. Nate was on me about getting a buggy back. It was like, yeah, maybe. And and so I had a few parts laying around. And so um, uh, I talked to Dave Schneider, and the car of his that had burned to the ground had been sitting in two halves, or I think it was tacked back together, uh, laying in the backyard of one of his friend's cars. And, you know, I built that car for him in late 2008, early 2009, that he raced in King of the Hammers 09. But when he did the best in the desert series, they actually cut the car at the A pillar <clears throat> and they cut the rear half off. So that part was still the original piece that I had built for him. He had done some modifications to the skid plate area. Um, but you know, the whole top of the car had sagged from the, the fire. So I, uh, I told him, I said, well, I, let me get that back from you and I'll just restore it to its original form and play with it a little bit. And so I ended up with a similar shock package, and I thought, oh, it'd be fun to put it together and have something that's versatile. It can go fast and bounce around a little bit, and, you know, no intent of racing, and it would never pass KOH Tech because it's, you know, cars were all usually inch-and-a-half tubing. Right. You know, and they'd replace the top of that thing. I think they did an inch and three-quarter. That's why it had been cut off, cut apart. And so... um uh, I put all that stuff back together and, uh, you know, got a good deal on a motor, a motor with 320,000 mile, you know, LS motor that smoked, but it ran, you know, and, and, and then called in on a lot of my favors that I've never called in on before, you know, machine work, um, you know, any of the old companies that I'd worked with, um, Vic at advanced, he hooked me up great, you know, and, um, uh, you know, and of course, trail ready and, and Randy's ring opinion and, and stuff like that. And was able to put together a car, uh, to go out and play with. And then, uh, um, and then went out and played a few times, you know, and after I'd gone down, our local wheeling area had been shut down and they were reworking it and, um, and turning it into an ORV park. And when they did, they made it challenging for the cars. There wasn't a lot up here for the older vehicles. So. You know, it really had died down, and um, and that drew me back as well. And then uh, after I made a trip down to Sand Hollow <clears throat> and went down and played on that stuff, um, you know, it was, it was fun again. It was fun again, you know. Yeah. So. Excellent. Yeah. And then you were uh, you were instrumental in helping Wyatt get. Uh, get to yeah, wheeling a, is that correct that's a, that's been a long game and i, I mean we can't 100 percent take credit for that but the car the car has always been sitting there in the in the garage and you know as a young kid and so after kane had passed uh i want to say why it was probably five or six i took him up and he wanted to go up in a walker and wanted me to drive him around up there and so we did and we had lunch and visited for a little bit and then you know we went down and then when he's probably seven or eight, I think he and Trindy came down and Nate and I got into the RC cars. And so I called Erica and I said, Hey, I can, 
kind of make him a replica of his dad's buggy and that'd be kind of cool and so um uh we did that and then he he came down here and they were playing and stuff and then we we drove out that 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 replica and so of course you know that's just the the catalyst for that and then you know going to the rc comps and and doing that so it gets it it starts that interest right and right then, um, um and he primarily just went out in the field and would do donuts most of the time from what you know you get a lot of shit from steve and i about it filling the skid plate with grass <laughs> waiting for the thing to burn down because they, they're on like i think five acres and they have a field out in front of their house and they go out there and just be brodies but um but at least he was he was driving it and then uh yeah it started getting to the point to where you know Erica wanted him to be able to, to reach the pedals and he hadn't sprouted up like he has now. And so we put a seat slider in it so that he could drive it. And then, uh, I want to say it was two or three years, maybe three years ago. And this was prior to me, I think building my car. Um, he wanted to do the reader rock crawl and, and with it. And so I spotted for him. And so we did that. And that was the, you know, kind of the opening door, uh, to do, to do that type of stuff. And so, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's been a long game waiting for the kids to come of age and not just say, Hey, you need to get in the car and we're going to go do this, but them, them wanting them to, to ask, right. Yeah. The, them to both ask and want to be a part of it and then seeing them riding around in the car and enjoying it and, and stuff like that. And to carry on that legacy because they genuinely want to. You know, I think some people feel forced into that, and of course, um, and, and can, and, and uh, that's certainly not the the right route to go. So, watching it all unfold, like I said, it's been a, it's been a, quite a few years waiting. You know, fifteen, probably fifteen years. You know, waiting for it to get to this to this time, and then seeing him going out and, and using the car the way that he is now, and and watching him learn. You know, initially, it's it's. Um, it's drive by remote, you know, he's listening to the spotter and you're telling him where he needs to go and stuff. And now it's, they're making the decisions, but asking you where specific things are so that they can get themselves online and just making sure they're not getting offline. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's been great. That's excellent because those that don't know, um, Kane covert was a, was a really good friend. Um, Jason and Trevor's, and part of that SNN family, I would call it. Yeah. And he passed away, and um, we're talking about Wyatt covered his son, and um, so that's uh, him getting back into the car, and taking yeah. you know taking the reins over. So. Yeah. Well, excellent. And uh, what's uh, what are the plans for the future? Um. Well, at this point, I mean, it's it's mostly been since I first built it, and you know, it's been three years now, and you know, I've converted it more to a crawler and got rid of all the go fast and just trying to make it better and better and better, and you know, still trying to do that, you know, just to do a specific job. But um, I've bought, I've gotten a little bit into doing some repairs on some previous cars, and then I've had a chassis design that i did about three years ago that is similar to the car that i'm driving now but has some of the 
features of the older Bravos, kind of like a more modern, and it's it's called a Bravo X, and it has some some changes that uh, give a give a more predictable suspension and and uh, a car that has a little more up travel has the room for portals if someone would want or if they don't want would have inch and three quarter tubes so that if there's any rules that they would have to follow they could um, uh, things things like that just like I said a more modern uh, kind of design and so I've gotten a few sort of flat tables and some parts and pieces and I'm building a jig that'll be just proprietary to that chassis and um, the first one will be done for uh, uh, Jeremy Jones goes by Doc races Ultra 4 series and um, I'll start putting that car together here I'll build the jig for it and, and build the car as I'm building the jig um, here probably in the next month um, in my shop which is a uh, 12 by 24 garage um, I've made everything really modular so I can move stuff around and be able to operate in there. So it's pretty tight, but, um, and then once that's done, uh, I might do two or three cars. And then after that, um, be able to get a, uh, CNC bent and laser cut, you know, okay. so it's not so hands on and all the parts and components, and the jig will allow all of them to be the same, more like kind of like what the, was done with the, the red dot type of cars, where it's just kind of a almost a, a manufactured, you know, where you use the same interior panels and stuff like that. And it'll be made for very specific components. And um, uh, and we'll see we'll see where that goes. Um, am I going to continue to build cars from that? I'm probably going to develop this and then I'll, I'll step back from that because, um, it's really hard to enjoy the sport and go out and four wheel and build cars and have a full time job. And I'm certainly not going to step away from my career. Right. And, and, and build cars again. I already, I already did that. It ran its course. It was fun. I don't, I have no regrets about doing it. Um, but I, I, I certainly don't want to go back and do that, but, you know, I feel like I had some unfinished business there, some some open doors that I need to need to close, and some improvements that I could have made. And so I'd like to at least get that out of the way and and handle it, and we'll see how it goes. That's excellent to hear. Are you going to continue to compete at least maybe in Goldendale? I mean, we really oh, yeah. enjoyed having you out there, and it was great yeah, seeing you drive. Yeah, it was it was fun to get back in the car. Um, Nate and I usually have better luck, I think, with him driving. He's he's a lot stronger. I I've, I've had rear steer for about a year. Um, he really knows how to wad a car up to force traction. Um, and he has an older Bravo, and there there are things about those cars that are that make them very sticky to terrain. They do have their quirks, but they it. it uh, it has some features that are a little better than the car that I have. And, and, um, uh, and we learned a few things about my car this weekend that we had no anticipation of and, and didn't expect, you know, and that's how we ended up in a couple of the situations that we were in. So, you know, uh, whether it's driver or spotter, I get the same satisfaction from either spot. So it's the same excitement and the same fun and, and, and stuff like that. So I'll let him decide next year, you know, like I did this year, it's like, do you want to drive or do you want me to drive? And, 
you know, last year I kind of turned into a country song, blowing my knee out, hurting my back, and then have my truck blow up. So <laughs> figured we'd give me the year off and, and have me drive. And like I said, after a couple of quirks that my car had, we probably we probably would have had a considerable better finish with him in the car and me spotting. But he's tired of hearing me grunt and groan outside the in the headset you know <laughs> we're not getting any younger <laughs> no packing rocks around and then being busted up for the next week but luckily i can just sit in an office chair during the day <laughs> no i'll certainly yeah every time goldendale comes back in any events up here i'd probably do for fun and you know but as far as running a circuit or a series it, it, you'd be pretty hard pressed for me to do that so. right Completely understand. Yeah. So anything you want to talk about family-wise or anything like that? How are things going? Uh, family's, family's good. Uh, you know, the kids are, are grown, you know, 27 and 24. Um, you know, they go with us. They've gone with us to Hawaii. I mean, we like to do that. I've got them coming up here in October. Hopefully COVID doesn't completely shut that back down and 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 ruin that again because we've pushed it out a couple of times already um but uh no just in, enjoying stuff like that and then i'll probably make a trip down to sand hollow and play next uh february certainly like it down there and um and then you know wait for the spring and summer up here and 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 play local i would like to get head back east with garrett ness and do a trip and run some of the south dakota stuff at some point that's that's kind of a bucket list thing too i've never been back there i've been to a lot of the other places but never to never to south dakota so that's that's something that needs to probably get dealt with at some point yeah i think that's a place you should go i think you'll enjoy that definitely and there's some sites that i'd like to see along the way you know now it's there there's an appreciation it's not about just getting there for their the, the wheeling and stuff, but there's, you know, things like Devil's Tower and uh, the, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore and, and just things that I'd like to see along the way and enjoy as well, you know. And, the and national parks that. in that area are phenomenal. Yeah. They really yep. are. And, that's, and those are those are really high on the list of, of things that I'd like to do as well while I'm there. I and mean, it's like, you're already back there. Why not do that as well? Absolutely. You should. For years, it was all about getting to the location for us. And now when it's just Shelly and I, it's so much easier just to say, oh, we're going to take a couple of days and we're going to go do this and we're going to go visit these people and we're going to go hit this this old fort or, you know, we we hit a lot of the national parks and monuments across the United States and Shelly does the junior ranger programs and you know, you just learn a lot about the history and why it is what it is yeah. that way. And it's just really enjoyable taking the time and, and, and seeing America along the way. Yes. Except, for, yep. you know, j- instead of just watching it go by in the window. But yeah, you don't see a lot from the freeways generally. No, you know? no, they the avoid all the good stuff. The, yeah. Yeah. You want to get off the beaten path and see those, uh, see those things so yeah those are certainly things that i'll appreciate more you know this day and age than i would have uh when i was younger and just about the race it was about the it's about the build it was about the 
getting to the comp, getting back, getting back to work, you know, and I'm, I'm over that. (laughs) Enjoy it while you can. Yes, absolutely. Well, I want to say thank you for coming on board and spending some time with us and talking about your life and, uh, and you know, the, the progress that uh, you made as a human and, and getting to, you know, to build buggies and compete and helping others do the same thing. And, um, it's been a pleasure. It really has. Thanks, Rich. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've always appreciated your friendship and, uh, you know, we never get really some time to hang out, but if you're ever down in South Texas in the off season, you know, we're, when we're not doing comps, come by and see us. We're, uh, you know, do a little boat time. Yeah, there you go. That does have some appeal to me. (laughs) That's, it has a lot of appeal to me as well. (laughs) All right. Well, you have fun at work today. And uh, say hello to everybody, and um, thank you for coming on board. Have a good day, Rich. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram, and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.